Today on Tailboard Talk, we're chatting with Austin Womack, who is a exercise physiologist for the Austin Fire Department. Yep, his name is Austin. He works in Austin, and I promise he's heard of that dad joke that you're thinking of right now. But to many of us, an exercise physiologist working embedded and hired by a fire department is a strange thing, or at least a, a foreign thing. So he's got a lot of cool insight, a lot of cool stories, kind of letting us know what he's able to do with the Austin Fire Department, with his peers, and uh, it's a great talk. So as always, if you like what we're talking about or something resonates with you, head on over to the Four Shift website, throw some buy me a coffee money in there just to sh- support the show, and uh, let's get into this one. Here comes the intro. Skip forward 30 seconds if you want to get right to the episode. This is the Tailboard Talk Podcast, the best health, wellness, and lifestyle resource for the fire service. We're using stories, lessons, and tips from the front lines to give a realistic view of what the job can do to us and how we can make it out alive. I'm Chris Morella, a firefighter since 03, medic since 05, full-time since 08, and promoted to lieutenant in 20. I'm also a personal trainer and strength coach, and I'm here to give you the best information and host the best discussions to make us capable and durable, both on the job and away from it. So grab a heater, steal some fancy creamer from First Shift, and let's go chat. All right, first of all, how many times or how often do you have to like smile and grit your teeth through somebody acknowledging the fact that your name is Austin and you work, in, work for the Austin Fire Department? Man, that's the best question you're probably going to ask me this whole thing. Um, <laughs> it's your, t- no, it's your chance to unload on people right now if you want. I, man, I've been waiting for this moment. Um, <laughs> What, what I get like 95% of the time is, oh, that's easy to remember. Okay. And then I'm just like, yeah, cool. I'm, I'm glad I'm helping you out. Um, <laughs> or I also get like, oh, you moved here just because your name's Austin? Yeah. And it's like, nope, that's not the reason I moved to Texas. Um, I guess it's just a, a good coincidence, but yeah, I get your, I get that so much. It is, uh, it's really, it's not annoying, but it is, I mean, it's just expected. It's, it's constant. Expected. Yeah. It's, it's gotta be wearing though. You know, like, you know that every, cause you work with cadet classes. Well, I guess they wouldn't be lipping off necessarily, but, um, you know that every time you meet someone, especially a fireman, it's going to be like, okay, here comes the same three jokes that they think are original. It's like dad jokes, you know, like we're just a bunch of dad jokes oh, yeah. walking around. You're like, oh, good. This guy's going to think he, he's the first person to recognize that too. This will be fun. Yeah. It's like they, you can just see them get excited. You're like the, the dad joke is just ruined. <laughs> You're like crap. I'm just gonna start calling myself Steve or something. So, so when did you move to Austin then? So I moved to Austin back in January of 2020. Okay. So right before COVID, basically. And was it for the purpose of working for the Austin Fire Department? No, it was actually. Um, <clears throat> It was a decision my fiance and I made together, and it was really just because we were we were looking for some place to go, and for some reason she really loved Austin, and for me I just have a ton of my college buddies that live in the area. Um, like I played baseball in college, and pretty much all of my teammates were from Texas, okay, um, from Waco, Houston, Austin, and so I was like, cool, I've got a bunch of friends there. I like it. I've been to Texas a ton. Um, yeah, let's go to Austin. All right. And what did, where did you live before? And what did you do there? Were you a trainer there? Um, so before before we moved to Austin, we were both living in Southern Oregon. 
nice. and uh, I was a I was a wildland firefighter out there. Nice. And she was a news reporter um, for like the local TV station. Okay. Um, she wanted to get out of news, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. <laughs> so um, I loved I loved wildland, even though it was terribly hard and challenging at times. Yeah. Um, it was fun. Like I really enjoyed the challenge and just being out in the mountains fighting fires. Uh, But it also wasn't, I didn't, I didn't think it was a sustainable career or like something that I was like really wanted to pursue. Um, And just, you know, six to eight months out of the year, just be gone. Who knows where um, fighting fires. Yeah. What's the average like, um, age range of someone who actually makes a career doing wildland firefighting? Like, is it a thing where once you're in your thirties, it's like, okay, I got a handful of years left or are there dudes that are forties and up kind of still out there? Just the role changes and it gets easier or different or what's the average, you know? Honestly, I was surprised at the, at the range. Um, obviously there was a ton of young kids, um, way younger than me out there, like fresh out of high school doing it. uh, just trying to make money for the summer, but we had a lot of guys in our crew that had been, doing it for 12, 15 years. Um, we had, we had a father son duo on our crew, uh-huh. <laughs> which was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, both working together on the saw. And then we had, I mean, our crew bosses, I, I kind of bounced around to a couple different crews that were based out of uh, our base. And like the crew bosses I worked for had over 20 years in the, in wildland, um, super, super experienced, yeah. you know, had been doing it forever. And it, it was, it was really encouraging to see, or just to be around like those people and just have them on the crew. Like, God, they've been to so many fires. Like they forgot half of them. Yeah. And, uh, I was kind of, I was expecting them all to be like just young kids that were just like, I've got nothing to do. I'll just go fight fires. Kind of. <laughs> right. But, well, it's gotta be one of those things like structural firefighting where it's definitely a young man's sport. Right. But then as you, as you get older, you get more experienced. So maybe the thing that you needed just pure muscle and grit to do 15 years ago, now you know kind of ha- how to handle the tools a little better or how to position yourself better just to complete a task or maybe just not burn yourself out as quick, right? Or, you, or at least you know what to expect. Like there's a lot of guys that we have that, um, you know, they'll be on the roof simulator and it's fine. And they'll be on the drill field throwing ladders. It's fine. And then as soon as they get in a real situation, you know, their, their heart rate goes up and their breathing goes up and the stress goes up. And, uh, you know, they're, they're significantly more tired after like two or three operations on the actual fire ground compared to like 10 operations on the drill field, you know? So maybe just being around more and knowing how these things go, even in wildland is like, yeah, I know this will be, you know, we'll be out here for three days. And that's just what it is where the new guy's like, holy crap, how many more hours do I have to do this? How many more minutes do I have to do this? Cause it seems like grueling work. Yeah, it is. And uh, you bring up a, a good point. Like I noticed that right away. And I was fortunate. I came in, you know, as a, a former strength and conditioning coach, like transitioned from strength coach to wildland. So I was fit. Um, I was, you know, feeling strong, feeling conditioned. And then my first day ever on a fire, um, I got my ass kicked. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was so brutal. Yeah. The hardest day of my life, like no question. And I know I'm like trying to sell the story, but like, I'm not exaggerating. Sure. It was so hard. And one of the, um, one of our squad bosses, he was probably like, probably around 31, 32 years old, had been doing this like his whole adult life. And the guy was 
a monster. Like he didn't look like it. Um, but like the guy could just hike for days, like would never get tired. Yeah. Like at one point we, um, after we had been going all morning, all afternoon, I pretty much hit my wall. I was pretty much done. And then, uh, we had some guys on our crew that were running low on water. And so, uh, my crew boss had me cause he was like, Oh, you're, you're one of the more fit guys. You go back with, with Zach and go get some, get some water from the rigs. And I, and I'm just thinking like, dude, he wants me to walk. He wants me to hike. Cause at this point we were already at the top of this ridge. Like we had started at the bottom, um, at, by this little Creek. We had dug line all the way up this mountain. So we're at the very top. So now we had to hike all the way back down the mountain, all the way back up the other side of the other ridge to get to our rigs and then grab these, however many gallon, uh, water jugs, yeah. carry them back down the mountain, back up where we, uh, where we were digging line. And dude, I, I almost died. Like, I almost <laughs> died. Yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to keep up with Zach. He keeps taking breaks so that I can take breaks. Yeah. And I kept having to switch my hands cause like my forearms were just giving out trying yeah. to carry this, this water. And he didn't switch hands once, like not one time. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, dude, how is, this guy's got like forearms of steel. It's yeah. insane. And he's like not even breathing heavy. And then he, get, <laughs> this is the best part of the story. And then he starts, he gets out some cigarettes and just starts smoking. Yeah, dude. Like, while I'm like trying, taking, like, trying to hydrate, yeah. he just starts smoking cigarettes like it's nothing. And I'm like, all right, this is a whole, this is a different level. I've never experienced this before. Right. Yeah. It, it makes you really realize, uh, I mean, not the gaps in your training necessarily, but how important it is to, to actually train for what we're doing or at least try to get in the same energy system and the, and mimic some of the same demands as what we're doing. Cause I mean, there's countless stories of, you know, to break away from firefighting and a more kind of recognizable example of the, the weight room monster, you know, on the football team or, or whatever that just yep. goes out and gets just beasted, you know, cause he's strong and he can bench and squat and deadlift and all that, but he's got no athleticism and no, you know, no actually able, no ability to actually move around the field and, and make anything happen. And yeah, man, that's uh I'm sure that was a, uh, eye opening moment. Cause especially oh, yeah. being like picked on as by the one of the chiefs to be like, ah, oh, this guy's in shape. You know, you're in better shape. You go do it. And you're like, Oh crap. Yeah. I'm already, yeah. I guarantee yeah. I'm I in the worst say? shape in the world right now. Yeah. Like what am I going to say? No. Yeah. Like I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't say that. <laughs> so how much, how much of that, uh, you said the guy was Zach that you were hiking with, right? Yeah. Yeah. His name is Zach. He's one of our, one of our squad bosses at the time. How much of him. So when you, he, when you get back then, right, you get your water and you go back and you report back. What does he do then? Does he go to your boss and like, Hey man, this guy put him in the back for a little bit, or is he, is he going to keep you working on the front to build you up? <laughs> um, I think at that point, I don't, I don't know if he said anything. Um, but, we were all dying. Yeah. Like that was, that was just a hard day for a lot of guys. Um, it was my first day on a fire. We had like a pretty young crew. It was a lot of us. Like it was our first ever experience with like being in a wildfire. Yeah. And, and it was just like, um, the fire that our crew got assigned to was like a spot fire, like way away from the main fire. So we ended up having to hike probably three to four times further than any other crew just to get to our assignment. Um, and it was super, super steep, like insanely steep. Uh, it just, it wrecked all of us. Yeah. And so we did, thankfully, like we were close to, uh, 
kind of containing that spot fire. And we, we almost had a line all the way around it at that point by the time we got back. And so at that point we were kind of just holding the line spreading out and just, just making sure the the fire didn't jump it. Hmm. So we got to at least like relax a little bit there, at least physically, (laughs) you know, not so much mentally. Um, especially me, like I had this, this giant burning snag right next to the line uh, where I was holding. So my job was just to not take my eyes off the snag Hmm. and make sure it just didn't fall right over our line that we just spent hours digging. Is that just a, like an incomplete fallen tree? Is that what that is? Yeah. It was like a half, like basically like the half, the bottom half of the, of the trunk was like all rotted out and just still on fire. still burning. Yeah. So how long did it take you then till you were like the experienced guy and you would see the new guy come in, like a fire breather come in and everybody's like, Oh, this guy's an animal and he's sucking wind then. And you're like, I remember that feeling like, look at these young guys trying to do what I can do easily now. How long did that take? Um, so honestly it took me, it didn't take me long. Um, that was our first fire. We were only on that fire for like five, five days, I want to say. Um, and then our second fire, kind of similar situation. We, we got the call like really, really late at night, like 11, 12 at night. And like, Hey, be at the base in four hours. Um, so going off like no sleep basically. And similar situation. We get there early. We just start digging line all day. Um, but the difference with this fire was we didn't really get a, a break in the afternoon. Like once we kind of like tied into another crew, they sent us out. Well, they were trying to give us a break. I'll, I'll say that they were trying to give us a break, give us an easier assignment. So they sent us out like, like, I don't know, a mile ahead of the fire to kind of work on a contingency line, just in case they needed to throw a bulldozer in there and, um, you know, if the fire just kept going in that direction. And so we were just kind of taking our time, just kind of clearing out this space for a line, a possible line in the future. And we get about an hour in and we're kind of taking a break. And then our crew boss goes, wait, is that smoke up there? <laughs> and we like look up the ridge. And so like, like we're going east to west, the fire, the main fire is to our north. So to our right, and the smoke is to our left. So like south of us, hmm. uh, which is not good because yeah. like that's fires the other way. Um, so he was like, Hey, go check that out. And so we get the whole crew up and we start like hiking up the ridge towards the smoke. And like, by the time we can see it, like it's obviously a spot fire had started. And from the time we saw it to the time we actually got to it was only a couple minutes, but like the fire was growing pretty fast, even in, in those like two minutes. Um, so that's when we kind of knew it was like, all right, we got to lock back in. This is like, this is about to get serious again. And that's when like, that's basically when chaos just broke out. Hmm. Half of our crew took the right flank, half our crew took the left flank. There was miscommunication. So like I went to the left flank and I was like, like they're, they're supposed to be another squad with us. And we're like, dude, where'd they go? Like they're <laughs> supposed to be on our flank, <laughs> but they weren't there. Um, I guess what had happened is a second spot fire popped up like right next to the, the original one. So they went to go get, get that one, which we didn't know at mm. the time. We were just like, dude, what are we doing? <laughs> um, and basically long story short, the next like two hours were just chaos. Like it was, it was definitely the most intense moment I had 
when I was uh, in Oregon fighting fires, like just the, 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 the rate at which the, the spot fires were growing was like crazy. So we couldn't like keep up with it. Um, the smoke was so bad. Um, the wind was kind of bad and it was just intense. Like it was just a very intense, we were all dead cause we'd been digging line all morning, yeah. all day. At this point, it's probably like four o'clock in the afternoon. It's super hot, super humid. And there's like a couple of visuals that I remember. Um, I remember looking over a couple guys. It was their first day on a fire and they were literally just sitting on the ground, like next to the fire. Like they just stopped stopped digging line and just sat like they were just so exhausted. They had to just sit and like they couldn't work anymore. Yeah. And like, I just remember looking at their faces and I was like, do they look like complete death? Hmm. And I was like, I know that look because that was me on my last fire. Yeah. Like, right. <laughs> I've been there before. Um, and I was, you know, trying to encourage them, trying to pump them up. And, but at the same time, I was like, I know they just like, they need to sit down. They need to breathe. So like, let me, let me be the eyes. Like, let me make sure they're safe and they're not like about to get hit by a Pulaski or hmm. some, uh, a, a rock or something rolling down the mountain at them. Um, and then the other visual I remember is there was this fallen tree uh, and it was like kind of like propped up. So, and it was a, it was a massive dug fir, like those big trees that you see out in Oregon had fallen over Okay. and it was suspended up in the air. So like there's probably three to four feet of space between the bottom or like the tree and the ground. Okay. And then one of our squad bosses was standing on top of it, kind of just like getting a, a, a visual of the whole situation. And and he was on his radio. So he was like kind of like keeping keeping his ear on the communications while keeping his eyes on the whole situation. Hmm. And then I, I just look at him. And then he just like, while he's got the radio next to his ear, he just leans over and just throws up off of the, <laughs> off of the, like his, where he's standing. Yeah. He's standing like I told you, it's like four feet up off the ground. So this puke travels probably like seven or eight feet to the <laughs> ground. Was, yeah, uh, like it took forever for the puke to actually hit the ground. <laughs> and then he just went right back to the radio. Like sure. he just went right back to the communications and was talking on it, like nothing had happened. Wow. And uh, like we had another guy throwing up at one point. Um, we had another guy, like, he's like, dude, I can't see. Like, there was so much smoke. Mm. Um, his eyes were, like, watering. He's like, dude, I just, I'm, I can't see right now. <laughs> I was like, well, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Check back <laughs> um, in a minute, yeah. But, like, <clears throat> I'm looking around. I'm seeing all this, like, stuff going on, all the, all these guys struggling. And, honestly, like, I felt pretty good. Like, yeah. I felt strong. I felt, I felt like I was there mentally. Like, I was alert. Like, I was encouraging other people. Yeah. And, um like it felt really good. It gave me a ton of confidence that I was <clears throat> like that I could do the job and perform and like, um, you know, play my part, but also like help other people yeah. or, you know, cover for them. If they had to take a break, they had to get some water. Like, all right, that's fine. Like I'll, I'll get you, you, you know, take a second. Um, so that was a long winded story, but it's one, one of my favorite memories of, yeah. um, of my wildland journey because it was a uh, it was intense for sure well i think it's gonna i think it's i'm glad you told it though because i think that's gonna play back into something we'll talk about soon which is your role now um mm-hmm. because i i've certainly adjusted my coaching style based on my past experiences right 
um, knowing when to push people or, or appeal to people or encourage them or hammer down on them, right? And uh, I can only imagine that when you get a new recruit in or you're working with someone at the fire department and they start to maybe show those signs of wanting to give up or just a little bit of fatigue and they start thinking about like, maybe I'll just kind of uh, throttle back a little bit or I'll coast a little bit. You know, you have such a, a broad range of experiences now to be like, okay, I got more tools now to deal with this person. I, I know I can either yeah. lean on them hard and hammer down or I can go have a conversation with them and see, you know, if we can motivate them some other way. And uh, I think, I think it's a very important example of, uh, you know, you've seen a guy stand eight feet up in the air, throwing up all over the place and talking on the radio. You're not going to let some, some 21 year old kind of flake out from throwing a uh, 28 foot ladder, you know? So it's, I think it's, uh, it's going to play a vital role in your, in your coaching, but so let's talk about that. Right. So you get to Austin and uh, you're a former strength coach for former wildland guy. uh, and, And so how do you get hooked up with the Austin fire department? Well, um, I'm glad you asked this question because this is a question I get so much. Like I get a ton of questions, like just messages from people that want to get into the fire service and kind of do what I'm doing. And unfortunately, it's like it's not a very sexy story. Um, I literally they had an opening and I applied and I interviewed and I got the job. Nice. So <laughs> I didn't really do anything like fancy or or anything like that. Um, yeah. What was the, what was the job opening for? So it was for our, um, exercise physiologist position, okay. which is, uh, essentially we, we kind of do, we do different things. We obviously, we, we work at our academy and run all the PT for all of our cadets. And, and that takes up a, a bulk of our time, especially like in the morning um, during PT sessions. And then we also spend a lot of our time at our wellness center which is, uh, which serves all three public safety departments. And so we'll, we'll assist our, our, our doctors, our nurses and, and help them run all of their, all of our medical exams. Okay. So whether it's like a hiring exam for a police cadet or a potential cadet or EMS or, um, uh, annual exams for our firefighters, like we'll, we'll help out with the, um, with the wellness center, with all that kind of stuff. Okay. And then uh, the third part of our of our responsibilities are going out to actual stations and doing our what we call like our fitness station visits. And so at that point, like we're pretty much consultants. You know, we have like different topics that we present on, and you know, we share about injury mitigation, we share about uh, stress management, um, we share about lifting techniques. Like we have a whole like menu of of uh, we call it our fitness menu that we talk about. Mm. And, um, that's really fun. Cause we, you know, we love going out to the stations and meeting the firefighters like at their home and, yeah. you know, getting to share our knowledge. Um, so all that to say, like our job title is, you know, exercise physiologist, but I mean, it's also a strength coach. It's also a consultant. It's also, uh, you know, I mean, we're we kind of act like a nurse sometimes like sure. we'll be taking bottles and doing hearing tests and vision tests and, all that kind of stuff. Um, so how many, how many people, how many active firefighters are there in Austin and how many people are on your, your team? I can't remember the exact number. I want to say it's around 1200. Okay. In the firefighters in the department, something like that, give or take a few. We've got right now 51 stations or 52. Okay. Um, 
I don't know. The city of Austin's growing so fast. Yeah. That uh, I, I, we can't really keep up. It does like, seem like the hotspot recently. I'm surprised there's only 51 stations. I thought there'd be definitely more than that, but maybe maybe in due time, maybe <laughs> they'll be yeah, popping up like crazy. We're, we're building a couple right now, I think. Nice. And yeah, I mean, who knows? We'll probably just keep building more and more, yeah. and it keeps growing. And then how many do you have on your, your team? So we have four exercise physiologists. Okay. Um, all, all of us come from a strength and conditioning background, like corporate wellness background. So, um, you know, we're, we're essentially we're strength and conditioning coaches and sure. that's not like our official job title, but you know, that's who we are. And that's, that's really what we do. So how many, if you go out in your mornings with the cadets and then you have no extra, uh, wellness appointments or anything like that, no hiring physicals, how many stations do you guys try to hit a day or what, what's the, how do you spread yourself around with, with just four people mm-hmm. for 50 stations? That's a good question, Chris. If I had that answer, I would uh, <laughs> I'd be making more money. Yeah. Than I do right now. Um, no, we, our goal, like if our goal is to hit two to three stations a day. Okay. Um, with this recent kind of surge in COVID cases, we have been, we, we've kind of had to put that on the back burner Sure. and dedicate more of our time to our wellness center. Um, cause our nurses at our wellness center are the ones that do all of our return to works for all three public safety departments. Oh, wow. So if anyone gets COVID, then they finally test uh, negative and come back to work. Like they have to go through our nurses to go through all that, that whole process. Okay. So our nurses are swamped right now trying to deal with all that. And so we're having to fill in at the wellness center a ton right now. I see. Um, but when it, when it's all going normal, like we'll hit at least one, sometimes two a day. And then our, uh, if our schedule is open, we'll hit three stations in one day. I mean, three sounds, three sounds ambitious to me, just knowing, you know, the training I've done at my department and then with the company going out to, to do presentations for departments, three sounds extremely ambitious for an afternoon. So if you guys can pull that off, I mean, you guys are far and ahead of expectations from my side. Anyways, I'm not sure what the city expects you to do, but in a realistic sense, three is massive so i that's congratulations on ever well, being able to do that if you pull that off well we've only done it a couple of times so i mean it counts man it counts it counts even yeah. one or even two a day i mean two in an afternoon with with four people to get anything actually um done or anything of worthwhile conveyed to anybody is is massive so i mean that would be for any for any department smaller than you guys like we have 100 basically 140 people in my department you know in seven stations if we get one day every couple months to rotate all the crews through so Kurt and I can talk to them or just give them, what'd you say, like the lifting mechanics or nutrition talk or something like that, we're talking one day every month and every two months possibly, you know? So for you to be able to get to that, that large of a population at almost the same rate is phenomenal. Well, I think where, where we are really fortunate is the fact that our, our department has invested in four of us. You know, yeah. I mean, we definitely, we could use eight of us, 10 of us, but sure. we, you know, the number's unlimited, but the fact that we have four, you know, I think that puts us ahead of almost every other, there's only, you know, a handful of departments that have like strength coaches in the capacity that we do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think we are really fortunate in that aspect and, and we, we realize that and, you know, we just, we try to do a good job of spreading it out. So, you know, we might not 
if I'm if I'm doing afternoon station visits, we'll have a couple other ex-phys's down at Wellness Center helping with uh, exams. Or if um, if we don't have PT in the morning, for example, um, we'll have one of us will go out to one station, and then we'll try to get another ex-phys to go out to a different station. Yeah, um, we try to break it up and. We try to be really strategic about it so that we hit the most people um, nice. with just with what we can do. Absolutely, man. What's your uh, what's your favorite thing to do? Like when a task comes up or you see something on the menu that is upcoming or someone picks it, you're like, oh, yeah, this is this is what I'm here for. You know, <clears throat> well, considering like I came up as a strength and conditioning coach, like I got to <clears throat> I got to say the cadet PT is is the most fun. Sure. Uh, especially early on in the academy, because you get all these, you get all these cadets who are, you know, they're excited, they're eager, they're anxious. You know, they've been working out, but some of them are not in the best shape. And then we just get to, like, we basically get to, you know, set their expectations and have some fun. It's <laughs> a great family. way to put it. It's a great way to yeah. put it. What's the, uh, how much, first of all, how big are your cadet classes typically? Right now, we start them with like 48. Holy cow. Um, which is a lot. Yeah. And a couple of reasons are, one, like like we mentioned, the, the city is growing super fast. And we're having to, I mean, we're having to bring in massive classes just to kind of stay, off, like, to not fall behind. Like, it's not even to get ahead. It's to not fall behind. Sure. Um, and then the other, the other reason is we're just... Like we just need to bring in more, more people. Yeah. Um, more people are retiring now and well, not everyone makes it. I think we just, we just graduated our, um, we just graduated a class last week and they graduated with 42. So they lost six, wow. um, in the course of the 28 week Academy hmm. and <clears throat> the other class we have right now, they're down to 39. So Ooh. they've lost quite a few. Sure. Um, Okay, so but still big classes. This is a good topic to kind of get on. Is that is that an an emerging trend of losing that many, or is that consistent over the? I know you've been there for a few years, but you can absolutely have reference for years before you were there. Was is that a newer thing where you know six to eight to ten people wash out, or is that um, has it been that kind of that standard because it's so difficult? I think from what I've seen, every class is different. Um, it's hard to say. There's there are trends. Um, cause some of the situations are just unique. You know, we had one really, really good cadet in our current class. Like he just had some family stuff happen that just had to take him. He just couldn't like oh, commit yeah. to the, the time. Sure. Um, we had, we have had a couple like freak injuries that happened off shift. We had one really, really solid cadet get, uh, tried to break up a dog fight when he was at, a, at the park Oof. and got bit and like his, wounds would take him too long to heal. He was going to miss too much of the Academy. So oh, wow. we have stuff like that that happens, which you can't really put trends to that. Um, but we, we do have people that don't make it for physical reasons. Like it's not that they don't pass necessarily. It's just that like, they just can't like their lack of fitness impacts their ability to do their skills. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And so there is like the skill portion that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to let go of some cadets for that. And then I would say the biggest one is academic. Hmm. Um, it is a rigorous academy. And if, if you're coming in with no background, if you weren't an EMT or weren't pre-certified and had a, you're doing a transition, uh, transitioning from another station, 
another department, like it's, it's an absolute fire hose of information Yeah, and it can just be too much for some people, like too much, too fast. Sure. Have you, so coming from a sports background and then we're going to kind of get into that topic. I think that I, I brought up earlier coming from sports mm-hmm. background and wildland, seeing everything you did there and the, the amount of raw work you had to do to be successful there. And now coming into, um, you know, a quickly growing, it's a city for sure, but it's almost like a, an overpopulated suburb. It feels like until I don't know why it feels that way. It just, it seems like it was a little blip. Uh, so, I mean, not a little blip. I shouldn't say that it was a smaller city a few years ago. Right. And now it's just flooded and you're yeah. going to get of your 48 people. You're going to get, like you said, a wide variety of experience levels and, um, histories with athletics or histories, just doing anything in general. Have you noticed, or I should say like, what's, what have you noticed is the best way to motivate or communicate or appeal to, to people to work hard? Like, I know it's for some people it could be like the old school volume approach, right? Just get louder and they get, they get more excited too. Uh, for some people, it's the first time they've ever worked this hard in their life. So you have to be more gentle with them because you don't want to scare them off or make it seem like it's this impossible task. Um, it, obviously it's gonna be hard to put trends to it, but what have you noticed with that, that huge amount of candidates coming through? What works for you guys? Yeah. So I think we actually have, I think I have a good answer to this question. Um, relating to our current class, which is in week 19 right now. Okay. Um, with, with this class, first of all, they came in day one and it's just, it's like 48, 48 cadets and they all are <clears throat> like, big big strong looking guys like it's it's a like visually you're like okay we're gonna have some fun with this group <laughs> and then no offense to our cadets but we once we get working with them we're like okay they uh <laughs> they might look big and strong and athletic but they're not okay yeah and so we we took a kind of a different approach with this group and we really scaled back like the first four to five weeks of the academy and when i say scaled back i mean we we pushed them like we had intense workouts and things like that but we were really intentional about like the level or this the level of movements we taught them Hmm. so like we scaled our deadlift back to like a banded um like a banded hip hinge we scaled our squats back to Um, we did a lot of kettlebell squats at the beginning to really like dial in technique. Sure. And before we really pushed intensity with load, like we just really crushed them with like tempos and really like boring methodical (laughs) volume. Um, well, it's boring and methodical to you, but to them it's, it's probably earth shattering, right? Like they're, they're crumbling. Yeah. Yeah. Brutal. They're like, what you want me to hold a squat for? How long? <laughs> um, it's like our, our idea was to try to try to gradually build them up um, just at a slower pace than we had in the past. And we did that, like I said, with, with act, the actual movements themselves. But what we also did is like when we would do our, like our long, more endurance um, style workouts, we would, um, the whole goal was to teach them how to pace themselves. Okay. Um, so we would start with, you know, just 30 to 40 minute circuits or, uh, 
just the, whatever it was we were doing that day, the duration would be 40 minutes. Sure. And the goal is, Hey, from minute 35 to minute 40, I want you just as strong as you were from minute 15 to minute 20. Yeah. So how, whatever you have to do to get to that place, like do that. <laughs> and you know, that's different for everyone. We have, we do have some studs in this class that are, um, super strong, super fit, just crush workouts. Uh, but we do have people that really, really struggle. And so they would be trying to pace themselves and they would still get crushed. Yeah. Um, but the, the idea was we just kept gradually, gradually building up that intensity and building up that work capacity. Um, and we didn't just throw like, we didn't just throw hour long workouts into them and say, Hey, go crush this 60 minute circuit yeah. and see how many rounds you get. Uh, which we could have done and, and it would have, you know, destroyed them. Right. And they would have been working hard and sweating and all that stuff. But we, we were really strategic in like training them how to last longer, stay stronger, you know, 30, 40, 50 minutes into a workout. And, you know, by week nine, week 10, you know, we were doing 60 minute circuits or some workouts took over an hour hmm. and they were able to, I mean, they still struggled, don't get me wrong, but I think that overall they were able to learn how to pace themselves a little bit better Yeah, and, and really use, like not only just have the work capacity, but also have the, you know, the mindset to, to not just go all out and then redline and then have to stop yeah. and then start over again. Uh, but they can just keep a nice constant pace and work hard. I mean, for an hour straight, like no, no resting. That's you. I mean, I, I would say that a majority of people in the fire service now would struggle to do that just for that, that fact that it's such a long duration and so much, so few of us have the ability to, to know what pace you need to keep to stick around for 45 minutes to an hour. You know, we know what it takes to get in a front door and push a hose line to the second floor, you know, minutes, right. Um, but mm -hmm. to, but to keep maybe 75, 65 to 75% of that exertion for more than half an hour would be a really difficult thing for, for a majority of us to do, I think. Um, so, so did you guys have a moment then where you came in day one or two and you're like, you know, energy's high, these guys are fired up, coaches are fired up. And then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, everybody needs to get the leash yanked on them. But you know, coaches need to, to cool it a little bit. And we're, we're changing our focus, you know, cadets, whoopsie doodle, we're going to kind of scale back a little bit. And did you have to re-explain to them what you were doing after maybe a few errant days of too much or how did that, how did you guys manage that? No. So we, we really didn't, like we didn't communicate that to the cadets at all. Okay. Um, we, I mean, we would do it. We would communicate more on like a session to session basis. Like this is the goal for today's session. Nice. Um, you know, we would have a couple sessions where I was like, Hey, your goal is to like, keep your heart rate super low and just breathe through your nose the whole time. Hmm. And if you can't, if you have to start breathing through your mouth, you're going too hard. Yeah. And you know, I think that was hard for some people to do because they wanted to just go, go, go and just push, push, push. And, you know, they didn't know our whole strategy was to help build their, you know, aerobic capacity and get them a little bit more into zone two cardio and not just like super intense red line, CrossFit, whatever. Right. Um, and so we would communicate that more on like a session to session basis with cadets, but we did, we did communicate that to like the, the team leaders and the cadre and all the people that were 
um, all the leadership involved in the academy. Like, hey, this is our strategy with this group. Hmm. Um, this is kind of like how we're planning to program. Here's kind of like the volume. Here's kind of our expectations. And, you know, we would um, keep communicating with them, like if we made any changes or just what, if our goals were changing or how their progress was and just essentially just keep them updated on how the class is doing in that aspect. Sure. So you, so you brought up CrossFit and I think this is a good thing to tap into real quick. I mean, it's almost impossible not to use something because CrossFit is everything and nothing, right? So it's almost (laughs) impossible not to do a workout that looks like CrossFit or somebody be like, Oh, that's CrossFit, even though whatever. Um, and in, in keeping with that idea, though, have you used some of the CrossFit model, which, again, is everything and nothing, but, like, when Kurt and I were, were doing it at LGN and we tar- started to get away from CrossFit, there was, like, three to five movements where we were like, well, those are out. Like, that's a, a staple in the CrossFit community, and a majority <clears throat> of workouts have these things, but we're not doing them because we've identified that, you know, the risk isn't worth it. So one of them was, like, um, one of them was high rep sit-ups, right? Another one was... Olympic Mm -hmm. lifts or deadlifts or squats at a certain intensity over eight. Like we're never going to break eight reps once we get past a certain uh, intensity, whether speed or load or anything like that. Uh, We took other ones out like wall balls because we just didn't like what we were seeing with the, the transformation in the base of the squat and also kind of the craning of the neck when people are catching. It was just a, it turned into a very awkward movement Mm -hmm. when people got really tired. Uh, Is there anything that you've, identified and kind of changed over the course of time of like, Hey, this is, I know people love to do this and I know it's good for intensity and it's good for making people sweaty, but we're just going to, we'll cut that out because it's not worth the risk. Yeah. Now I'm glad we're talking about CrossFit. Um, my, my opinions on CrossFit have dramatically changed over the years. Sure. Uh, I'm I'm not going to lie. When I first got into strength and conditioning, this is back like 2013, 2014. I was, I was a huge CrossFit hater absolute hater (laughs) yeah Um, and and then i ended up getting hired by a a private facility that did like sports performance on one side and then crossfit on the other side Hmm. and i'm not gonna lie i was a little hesitant i was like i don't know about this like Hmm. i don't know if i can be associated with crossfit sure and I'll, i'll i'll tell you they completely blew my mind and changed my attitude towards CrossFit because I saw how they integrated, you know, strength and conditioning principles and like really, really intelligent and creative, like periodization schemes into what, you know, we think CrossFit is. Sure. And it, it really blew my mind. It was like, wait, y'all are doing Turkish get-ups. I thought this was CrossFit. <laughs> like, yeah. Are y'all in, in you're progressing them? Like, I thought you just do them. Right. Uh, and it or, wasn't just do as many as you can in four minutes. Yeah. Okay. I was like, right. I thought it was just an AMRAP. Right. And they're like, no, we're going to like week over week, like progress this movement um, in our skill portion. And I was like, mm-hmm. all right, that's blowing my mind. Yeah. So all that to say, um, I am a big fan of CrossFit now when, uh, when there is periodization and, and intelligent programming behind it and, I think it's fun. It's fun to program because like you can just get so creative hmm. with with workouts and like some of the stuff that I've seen that I really like that I do try to incorporate is is not necessarily like oh I like this movement or I don't like this movement, um, but it's it's how like workouts can be 
um, put together to increase certain demands or increase certain challenges. Sure. So um, one thing that I really, really like to talk about when I talk about CrossFit is, um, and I'll get back to specifics, but this is kind of in general, um, just this, this idea of, <clears throat> of demands. And I stole this from Kelly Surrett. I, I, he was talking about this way back in like 2014, 2015. Um, but like you mentioned, CrossFit's everything and it's nothing. Mm-hmm. But I, I think the the positive side of that or the, the, the part that mm-hmm. we can really take is the fact that it, it is everything. And it's everything in, in the form of demands. So load is a demand, right? If you want to increase demand, you just make put more weight on the bar. Like that's going to challenge your – if you're doing a squat, like this is going to make it harder to squat. Mm-hmm. Um, to keep your same movement patterns, to keep your same, um, positioning, keep your same breathing. Like it's going to be harder, the more weight that goes on it. And that's just one, one way you can increase the demand on the movement. Another way could be volume, like have the same weight on the bar, but now just squat 12 reps instead of six. Uh, it's going to be a lot harder to maintain positioning and technique and, um, efficiency in the movement just because you're doing more volume. Um, and those are the two main ways I think strength and conditioning coaches kind of, um, challenge movement patterns and challenge, uh, challenge athletes in their programs. But what CrossFit has done, which I really like is they've, they've thrown in all these other demands and said, okay, cool. Like now squat, like go run 400 meters and now squat. Like now you have a cardiorespiratory demand. Um, like, let's see how that affects your strength and your efficiency and your movement patterns. And then they've also said, okay, um, we're going to give you a skill movement like double unders or, I mean, all the gymnastic stuff that they, they, they throw in there and say, okay, uh, let's see if you can do this very skillful movement while under a little bit of fatigue and, um, we can go back and forth on like the, when that's appropriate, you know, I think certain individuals absolutely need to be scaled right. back <laughs> when you were talking about school work. Right. Um, but for people that, uh, you know, I mean, I'm a good example. Like I suck at handstands, but I'm getting better. And so like, that's something that like, if it's in a, if it's in a wad or whatever, like it'll absolutely crush me but not to the point where like I'll hurt myself Sure. just to the point where it's like, all right, I got to get better at this so that if I have to do it in a stupid workout, you know, I won't hate it as much. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're highlighting one of the most important parts about the difference between CrossFit and um, using CrossFit, which is the coaching and the, the um, structure of it. Right. Uh, You could, you could Mm -hmm. easily take the same workout and put, improper coaching and unnecessary demands on it and say, okay, go run 400 meters and then load up 315 and and good luck, you know, average housewife. Um, And so that's where that great divide is of who's coaching it, what's their intention behind it, and is there a purpose to it? And uh, I think that's what turned, that's what turned me off to it kind of in the beginning and midway through um, was that it was just, it truly was, uh, sorrowfully random you know it was just frustratingly random and the coaching wasn't there and the support wasn't there and so that that was like the big i think rub for me was like you're gonna 
you're basically telling these people just go as fast as they can, as hard as they can, without any regard for who they are, or what they need. Um, and then you're getting yep. coaches to buy into it that just perpetuate that, you know? And then I think, like you said, there's a natural kind of separation there of the people who just did that because man, CrossFit was hot and I got to pay a thousand or, you know, a thousand bucks to get to be a, uh, an affiliate. And then I can just make money and throw workouts together. And then it grew into the other branch yeah. of it, which is like, Hey, this is, this is a scheme full of great tools that I can use and I mix it with what I like to do and make it actually a really good thing for people. I mean, there's, there is nothing people. I think the only comparison I've heard to anything that's been as impactful, um, on a society as CrossFit has been like, I think they said the, the Joe Weider, um, Sears weight set. Like that was the last thing that was that revolutionary to getting weights in people's hands was Sears selling a Joe Weider set of weights, you know? And then there was, there was stuff in the middle, like Jack Lane and all the, all the aerobic stuff. And that all happened, but nothing that impactful where like entire society gravitated towards it in such mass, you know? And, um, it absolutely has fantastic benefits, but like you're outlining, um, it can be both phenomenal and both absolutely like I was outlining absolutely terrible for people, depending on how it's administered. So I, you know, I, I've certainly changed my views on it too, where I've always enjoyed the intensity and the community it brings. Um, and I just, you got to be very careful when you look out there, what, what and how that intensity and community is being used, you know, but you know, obviously you guys are nailing it down over there and doing a, a very good job with it. So, so let's do this. If you, knowing that you like CrossFit, right? And that not all CrossFit, CrossFits are created equal. I think it's kind of, it's not dangerous, but um, may not be like, I wouldn't tell somebody just go do CrossFit to get ready for the fire service because you don't know what they're walking into, right? Yeah. If yeah. you if you're able to talk to a cadet class a year before they showed up to your front door, what would you, just generally, what would you kind of instruct them to do to prepare for the job? I would tell them to... <clears throat> Well, the, the, one of the big challenges with that is you don't know what their background is. Like we have some cadets that come in and they're ultra marathon runners. Mm. And we have some cadets that come in, uh, who are power lifters. And, and now we, now we have to try to find a program that can work with both of those kind. Right. Um, it's a rare example. It's it's rare to have like someone so specialized in that, in that sense, but we do have that. Sure. And what the message we give kind of no matter what their background is, is um, you have to be able to do everything. So you don't necessarily have to do CrossFit to like, to get everything, but like start a running plan and, and get some running in, like just become a, at least a decent runner. Like you don't have to be a marathon runner. You don't have to be a good runner, but become at, at a minimum decent. Okay. And decent for us is, be able to run a mile and a half in under 12 minutes. Okay. I mean, that's not even, I mean, that's easy, but like we still have people that can't do that. And so that's kind of what we like. That's our, just be decent, be able to do that. And then when we talk about, um, strength, we, I mean, the, the easy thing to do just to hit like masses is to, is to go back to calisthenics and just being able to do pushups and inverted rows. Um, those are two things that we test our cadets with in their uh, initial PT assessment. So just being able to have decent aerobic fitness, um, decent relative body strength for, you know, things like push-ups and sit-ups and, or uh, 
I guess we don't do sit-ups. We do side planks. Sure. So um, being able to just like stabilize your, your trunk for an extended period of time and pull up your body weight for a certain number of reps. Like that's like, that's what we tell people just to, to be able to not absolutely die in the academy. Sure. Um, which we sell people that do that. You know, we're always going to, on the bell curve, there's always going to be those people. Um, but I do think like we do have some really good CrossFit gyms in this area and like, and some of them are and not even just CrossFit gyms. We have a couple other gyms that, uh, work really well with, um, tactical populations and our, our former military people. And they do a really good job with this kind of stuff. Um, but we try to, we try to give them or try to refer them to, to those places that we either like we've trained at in the past to ourselves personally, or just have good relationships with and, mm-hmm. and say, Hey, go, go do this. Right. This will help. Would you say for a majority of people that they're, I mean, obviously the, the unknown background comes into it too, but for majority of people is a better bet to find, find a place and follow their program compared to searching the internet and trying to troubleshoot it on your own? Uh, overall, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, there are good programs out there online, um, but the coaching aspect absolutely helps. Like being, you know, being able to have someone coach you when your movement is off. Right. I mean, I think, I think it's it's hard to like that's going to win out every time. Is right. what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, we absolutely recommend that. And and I do want to say too, like we we do have a program um called FireFit and it's not a massive program but it is a program that is run by our PFTs to where incoming cadets who have started the hiring process they are whatever they're they're somewhere in the process they can come down to our FireFit classes and our PFTs will run them through workouts nice kind of get them ready for their PT assessment essentially and it's, it's a really cool option we have, obviously, like if they have to be local to the area to attend, which a lot of our incoming cadets are from all over the country. Hmm. But um, it's, it's a small way that we, I mean, we, we make a small impact, but like it's a, it's a pretty cool impact. Yeah, um, it's just a great in the fact that we are, You know, we can see people before they even come down to the academy and kind of get a sense of where they're at. And I mean, they're PFTs, so they're like, yeah, I've literally been through the academy. I can tell you exactly what to expect yeah, and exactly how many pushups you need to be able to do and how many towers you're probably going to run. And it's going to be a lot. <laughs> so it can be really helpful in, in that way. Yeah. And that, that's something Kurt and I always encourage people to do too, is like, listen, if you're, if you're serious about getting this job and depending on where you work, it's going to pay you anywhere from, you know, 50 to 60 to a hundred thousand dollars a year if you actually want this job, uh, that's that at the time, substantial investment, but over the course of time, a very small investment, you know, a year, two years out in a program and a coach or a coach or a gym or anything like that is it's going to be worth it. Right. It may feel like a stretch at the time. And it's difficult to say like, well, I'm only making so much money working part-time or working wherever. I don't want to spend another 150 or 200 bucks a month for a gym membership, you know, but if you, if you put in the work beforehand and you invest beforehand, 
it's just going to make the actual job part of it and the academy part of it that much more of a a lock. You know, you, the last thing you want is to be testing for two or three or four years only to show up to the academy and get blown out because you can't do a push up. So um, it's difficult to convey to people. We have a lot of part time departments around us, and that's what we that's what we encourage them to do. Is like, listen, I know it's going to be costly, but going to a gym that provides a program is far better than going to um, 24 hour fitness, you know, and just kind of stumbling around, even if you think, you know what you're doing, put it in their hands. So that way they can make adjustments for you. Knowing, especially if you go through a process, you're like, Hey, in six months, I'm going to be going through the Academy. Can, can we start working towards that? It seems like a lot to ask of people to spend their Mm -hmm. money on that, but I consider it um, an investment in their future, you know, because then once you, once you're in the Academy, you don't have as many physical hurdles. And then once you're on, shift or whatever you do, you either have that program to go back to, or you're, you're ready to be operational. You don't need to get in shape once you get hired. So, um, that's a, that's a great program you guys offer the fire fit. And I, I, uh, I hope more places are able to do that in the future, you know? Yeah. Well, it's still a work in progress. Like we're still, we tell them to make improvements and, uh, dial in on some things with that, but, but it is helpful and it is a cool thing that I think we offer. Yeah. And I think to your point, like, I think you're right. Like it's an investment and it's, it's so worth the investment, even if it is a couple hundred dollars a month. And then like what, what we tell people is like, you just do it now. Cause once you get into the Academy, like you're literally getting paid to work out. Like you're on the clock. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Here you go. Like you're, it's the closest thing to a professional right? athlete will ever be, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so you've seen a bunch of people come through, a bunch of kids come through, adults come through your Academy and uh, exercise stuff aside. Um, let's just close with, you know, do you have any advice to give people that are going into the fire service or, or coming to, to Austin, um, and looking to get a job as a firefighter? What can, what can you share with people from, from the trainer perspective? I think the, the biggest thing I see, especially early on in our Academy is, um, success really comes from like the people you're around and so, like I said, we are in our, our academy start out with 48 right now. And, you know, we tell them right away, like, you're not going to be 100% every day. There's going to be some of these skills that you just, it's, it doesn't click right away. There's going to be some of these days where like, you're just exhausted. Some of these cadets have like three young kids at home hmm. and like they're, they get home and they have to study and also be a dad of three like youngins. Right. And like it can be stressful, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally. And the key is like the, the ones that can really rely on each other and really pick each other up and, you know, know that like their success is determined a lot by the people around them, like not just their effort levels and not just their skills um, as individuals. Obviously like that is crucial and, and the skills need to be there, but there's going to be days where like, you're just not hundred percent and you have to rely on the people around you um, who might be a hundred percent and, you know, feed off of their energy and feed, feed off of their encouragement. And, and then when you are a hundred percent, when you're having a good day, you, you've got some sleep, you're feeling strong, confident, like use that to help the people around you who might be struggling with something or struggling with a skill or, um, to, to bring it back to the physical component, um, we had a stud or we have a stud in this current group and, you know, we told them on, we're like, Hey, cool. You're, you're super fit. 
these workouts are not that hard for you, but like, how are you going to use this to help everyone else? Cause like there are people that are struggling um, in certain movements that you're super good at. So like, go help them. Um, and we have a couple guys that are like really, really good on the rowing machine. Hmm. And you know, we were like, Hey, like you can go help other people. Like you have this knowledge, you have this, uh, this ability to help the people around you. So yeah, why not use it? Right. That's great, man. That's, uh, I think that's fantastic advice and, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not even going to add on to it. I think that's, that's perfect. So, uh, if you want people to get out to reach you or reach out to you, or, or if you're open for questions or anything like that, why don't you share how people can, can look you up or get at you? Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, I'm on like pretty much every social media, um, <clears throat> handle is Austin W Womack. So hit me up on there. LinkedIn. I'm, I'm getting really big on LinkedIn lately. Okay. That's kind of my new thing. So that's where like everyone's asking me how I got this job. So if you, if you want to ask me how I got this job, just hit me up on LinkedIn. I've got a, <laughs> I've got a typed out message I can send you. Yeah. Is <laughs> LinkedIn coming so. back a little bit? Is that kind of making a resurgence here? I've seen a few people kind of go to it recently. Mm-hmm. I thought it was, um, a thing of the past. Is it coming back? You know, I think it is. Okay. Um, I was, I've, I've never been big on it cause I was like, I don't know. I just, yeah. I was like, that's for people looking for a job. Right. Right. Um, but there's actually been a lot of like really good discussions, you know, it's turning into Facebook essentially. Oh, it's not good discussions then. Well, without the political stuff, right. (laughs) Right. It's coming. It's only a matter of time. Right. But yeah, um, it's, it's good so far. There's a lot of good discussions on there about coaching training and especially in tactical and firefighting and all that stuff. Good. Um, but like it's, I've made a lot of really good connections with, I mean, some of the, I mean, some of the best researchers or researchers in tactical strength and conditioning, some of the best, uh, some of the best like minds that are putting stuff out there. And mm. I've been able to, I mean, just build a, a lot of really good network, uh, networking and connections just through, just through posting some stuff on LinkedIn. Sure. Like, who would have thought? All right, we'll put it on the list. List of things to do. Get back on LinkedIn. I got to resurrect my whole profile then. Yeah, that's a whole that's a whole nother to do list. So yeah, yeah. you're welcome. Great, awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. This I, this is pretty cool. I always love talking to other coaches that are out there doing it and um, kind of get the feeling for what they're seeing and feeling. And and uh, you nailed it, man. So thanks a lot for hanging out. Of course, man. Anytime. Uh, I'm, I appreciate you having me on. I think your podcast is awesome. I've listened to a bunch of episodes and taking a lot of really good information from stuff you've said and stuff uh, your guests have said. So awesome, I'm, I'm uh, really, uh, really appreciative that I, you know, I get to be a, another guest. For sure, man. I'm sure we'll have you back too. We tried to get Kurt on this one, but scheduling just didn't work out. So I'm going to leave all that complimentary stuff in too. Don't worry. That'll be, that'll be in here for sure. Awesome. <laughs> well, I'm in. All right. Thanks buddy.